Welcome to Animorphs Anonymous, the podcast where we casually discuss the Animorphs one book at a time. I'm Casey. And I'm Alex. And we're going to talk you through the plot of each book. But more accurately, take you on tangent trips, factoid forays, and say, well, actually, as much as possible. Join us on the 1st and the 15th of each month, and we'll take you along on our mission. And we promise to have you back under the two-hour time limit. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a grave announcement to make. Incredible as it may seem, both the observations of science and the evidence of our eyes lead to the inescapable assumption that those strange beings who landed in the Jersey farmlands tonight are the vanguard of an invading army. Hey everybody, it's Casey. Um, Just wanted to do a little quick housekeeping before we launch into this final David book. Um, We're going to be talking about some kind of disturbing stuff in this episode, um, which it's Animorphs, it's not really a far stretch to talk about disturbing things, but this is like kind of a next level of disturbing. We're going to be touching briefly on uh, murder and uh, sexual predation, very briefly, um, but if you want to either skip those parts or um, just be aware that they're coming up, um, the sexual predation topic starts at around minute 41 and ends at around minute 43. The murder first mention starts at around minute 47 and ends around minute 49. And the second mention starts at around 1 hour 13 minutes and ends at around an hour and 15 minutes. Uh, disturbing topics aside, uh, we really hope you enjoy the episode. We had a lot of fun recording it. Bye! Hello! Hi. Hi. Welcome to uh, part two. Well, rather part three, but part two of our recording day. Yep. Um, historically, when we've recorded two episodes in a row, we get kind of sad, <laughs> but I think we'll just be very mad for this particular one. Yep. And, um, I literally have nothing else I want to talk about up front. I just really want to get into this book. All right. No preamble. Let's talk about this fuck named David. Let's hit the ground running. Okay. Just like Rachel. Okay. Here we go. Here we go. Rachel is having a dream. She is shopping, but there's nothing in her size. She can't understand why they don't carry size 312. And then she realized she was morphing into her elephant morph and nothing made sense. And suddenly she was woken up by a bird. She's like, ah, Tobias. But it wasn't Tobias. It was Axe. <laughs> she wanted it to be Tobias. She wanted it to be Tobias, but it was Axe. Oh. Yeah. That's an well, acceptable substitute, I think. I mean, it would be if Axe wasn't bringing her news of Tobias's death. Oh, true. Because that's going to ruin anybody's morning, no matter who wakes them up. Uh, yeah, so um, she literally like hits the ground running, like jumps out of bed, starts morphing, and Axe catches her up on what happened at David's old house, uh, and then confirms for her that they fear Tobias is dead. Um, and Rachel immediately realizes that's why Jake sent for her because of what she would do to David if Tobias were dead. Um, Woo! Chapter one! <laughs> Yay! Rachel recaps for us how David became an animorph. We don't care. We hate him. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, as an owl and acts as a harrier, they head off into the direction where Jake was last headed. They are kind of meandering around until a cop car comes blazing past with the lights going, and they're like, mm, that's probably where we're going. <laughs> so they follow the cop car, which would not have worked in New York City. That's all I'll say. <laughs> but 
They are headed directly towards the mall, and Rachel spots the glass that's broken on top of the dome, which, if you remember from the last podcast we recorded or last book that we read, was from Jake falling through the ceiling while dying. So, literally, <laughs> we're right there. We're back. Hello. <laughs> I know. It's all terrible. Yeah, it's bad. So Rachel sees the broken glass. They dive in, but split up in case David has set a trap. So Rachel dives in, goes one direction, Axe goes the other. And Rachel finds Jake first. Um, She starts to dive towards him, but Axe goes, no! And uh, calls her off because he's like, that might be a trap as well. He might get you if you go down there. So they are kind of circling above him. And Axe focuses on Jake and says, I can hear breathing. And Rachel does the same. And she's like, I can hear him breathing, but it's faint and it's gurgling with blood. And Rachel wants to kill David. (laughs) Yay. Uh, Yeah, yay. Uh, Rachel kind of orders Axe, but kind of half asks him to demorph and head down one side of the stairs. And she's going to demorph and then go grizzly and go down the other side of the stairs so they can cover Jake from both directions. Uh, but then they hear a commotion starting in a jewelry store downstairs, and Rachel <sighs> goes, oh, that's him, and Disgusting. sends Axe to go check it out. It's, yeah, this is so fucked up. <laughs> so much. Uh, yeah, so Axe goes check it out while Rachel's still human. She's about to start morphing when she notices, reflected in the, the windows of the stores around her, a tan reflection charging at her. She manages to flip over the railing at the last second while hanging on with one hand, even though it hurts like fuck when her arm takes the impact. And she takes stock of where she is. She notices a sales banner and a crossbeam. And David kind of skids past her at first, but then regains himself and comes sauntering back up to her. He threatens to bite her finger so she falls 16 feet onto the hard floors below. (laughs) Basically Lion King style. Long live the king. Basically, Yeah, he basically scarred her. And Rachel's (laughs) Mufasa. (laughs) Oh no. And that makes Axe Simba? No! Does it? I don't know. Or would Jake be Simba? Or sorry, would (laughs) Jake be... Axe is Zazu. Oh god, Axe is Zazu. Oh no. Oh no. Anyways, uh, David's about to bite her finger, so she falls to the ground below, but she swings herself up onto the crossbeam, and she lands it, because she's a gymnast. Don't let us forget that. (laughs) Which she only brings up when it's convenient. Yes. At least it's not constantly anymore, as it once was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, David swipes at her, but she is just far enough out of the way that it's not a big deal. And then... um, he starts kind of mocking her, saying, oh, I set an alarm clock in the jewelry store, and that's what the Andalite is chasing. He's, he's and like then a he, like, fucking evil mastermind at this point. Yeah, he's, like, it's almost like he started playing this weird game before anybody else knew that they were playing, and that's yeah. the only reason, like, why he's winning at this point. Yeah. Ugh, I hate Ugh. it. I hate him. He's like full-blown supervillain in this book, and I it's disgusting. He's disgusting as a person. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he starts sauntering away, and Rachel starts screaming, I'm gonna kill you. And I was fully down with that at this point. I was literally like, I'm gonna kill you! I'm gonna kill you! Oh. Yeah. Uh, Rachel climbs down from the banner to the ground. Axe came running back over because her screaming had caught his attention. Um... As well as all of that happening, the police, too, have now gained entry into the mall. And they're like, what do we do with Jake? And Axe goes, "Uh, let's just 
morph like an insect, stay by the body, and see what they do. <laughs> and um, they morph fly. And Rachel, this is the start of her journey in this book. She starts asking Axe why Jake said to get her and not anyone else. And it's kind of not something that we hear from Rachel a lot. Like, she's not very introspective, I think. Mm-hmm. Certainly concer- self-concerned. Like, she's very concerned with her, what's going on to her and everything. But she's not very introspective. So it's an interesting change. Yes. Oh, and I love it. I love it, too. I, it's a valuable change, I think. Mm-hmm. So, um, yes, they, they morph to fly so they can stay by Jake's body. Well, whatever happens, happens. And uh, they climb into his ear. <laughs> Delicious. Which is weird. Um, they're knowing that at this point when the mall cops and regular police get to them. I don't know if there's any mall cops, but there's definitely regular police. Paul Blart is get- there. Paul Blart. Paul Blart's Mall Blart. <laughs> God, on a stupid segue. <laughs> uh, anyways, when they get there, they're like, they'll they'll call the nearest large animal vet, which is Cassie's mom, so we will be probably be okay. Um, let's just make sure. And, uh, yeah, Rachel wrestles with how it makes her feel, because Axe did immediately recount for her Jake's words, which were... Uh, if Tobias is dead, then that was a terrible thing, and they might have to do a terrible thing. And she just, like, she's not sure how she feels because Jake said this about her, and she's not sure she wants Jake thinking that she's willing to kill, but she already intended to kill him. So, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> so they hang out until Cassie's mom arrives. She arrives with Cassie and Cassie's dad in tow, and Rachel immediately messages her. And lets her know that Jake has been in more for a little over an hour, and they have to get him away somehow, and they have to wake him up somehow. Cassie acknowledges them. She's like, okay, good luck. And Cassie's dad's like, we don't need luck. We have your mom here. <laughs> Which is very sweet. That even very in this sweet. I love her parents. Terrible. I love her parents, too. They're so wonderful. Once they're uh, up and flying away from Jake, after Cassie acknowledges that she's heard them and they are good to go, they go up to the roof where they start demorphing and then remorphing, and they overhear another conversation going on with two police officers, and they're discussing how they're going to frame this incident to Visor 3, and they just decide it's probably best that they don't bother him with this one, because it's only the two of them that are controllers, none of the other cops are their people, luckily, so it's... They're like, we just don't bother him. We can't go through every mundane detail of every day of our lives, so we're good? So that's good. Would you say that this is more evidence of some Yerks not really having faith in Visser 3? Uh, I think this is more evidence of, like, they're worried for their own skins. Like, they're like, if we don't kill this tiger, then he's gonna kill us, and we have no clean way of doing this and it's not like he's gonna see reason where they're like hey it was the two of us alone there was like we're surrounded by other animals Mm -hmm. like or other animals oh my god other people um and vets and like all these non-controllers like visitor three is never gonna be like oh i understand like i yeah which still means he's terribly incompetent of course right what are you gonna do right (laughs) he's the worst (laughs) that's not true david's the worst he gets David's the worst. 
David is the worst. Fizzer 3 <laughs> is not so bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyways, they overhear this conversation and um, they're trying to figure out kind of where they're going next and they decide we got to go get Marco. So they go to birds. They're going to go after him. And Rachel starts thinking as they're flying, he could be anywhere. He He's not locked out of Marco's house. Like we have to be very careful because he can get into anywhere. And then she goes... I kind of understand why Visitor 3 hates us so much. <laughs> <laughs> they race over to Marco's house. They see his windows open. But, of course, that that's like a trap, right? So they look in. They see him sleeping. And they call out to him to wake him up. They're like, Marco, come on. Marco, get up. And they ask him if he's alone. He nods. And so they're going to go in. Axe spills the air from his wing, heads towards the open window. And as he's about to go in there, David grabs a bat from by the window, swings it, smashes Axe in the face. That's right. It's not Marco. It's David morphed to Marco. He smashes Axe's face. Rachel actually sees a chunk of his beak go flying off. Oh, jeez. And Axe just plummets to the ground below the window. And then David, who is morphed as Marco, starts counting on his fingers how many he thinks he's killed. You. So he does a one, two. Absolute Fuck. I fucking hate him. You absolute Fuck. evil piece of shit. He is an evil piece of shit. God. I hate him. I Ugh. hate him so much. So, um, David starts morphing. He demorphs from Marco and steps away from the window. And Rachel is absolutely enraged and trying to come up with a plan. David emerges from Marco's window as a golden eagle and threatens to end her like he ended Tobias. And this just snaps Rachel into this cold, calculating mode. And she's still uneasy that Jake was calling on her, knowing kind of what she was going to do. Like calling on her, thinking like this is the person that will end all this and who will take care of this. But... She realizes it was the right call, and she wants to do this for Tobias. Oh, my God. I have it's... so much to say about this, but I'll, I'll leave it till the end. But Are like, you sure? Yeah, just just keep going. Like, this will be a slightly different sort of podcast episode for us, but, like, let's just fucking... It's... I think it's going to be very different, because we just... We're just jumping right in here. Yeah. We gotta leave a lot of time to talk. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so Rachel leads David on a wild owl chase to his doom. Uh, he's faster than her, but she knows these morphs better than him. She's had way more experience. She's been an eagle. She can see better at night, and she knows how to do this. She leads him through houses, trees. She jumps behind, you know, fences and through trees that he can't get through. And um, she finally comes along to the last part of this chase. And it's the most dangerous part because it's in an open field and he's so much faster than her. But she's leading him up towards these power lines. She's going to fry him to death. She's within five feet of these power lines when he grabs her with his talons in her back and starts tearing at the back of her head with his beak, trying to kill her. She realizes the entire lower half of her body has now gone numb because he's hit something. And she becomes enraged, not because she's going to lose, but because David's going to win. Which is such a fine distinction mm -hmm. but i think so important here like she is just willing to give up whatever it takes so that he loses yep it seems 
terribly hopeless when suddenly a dark blur comes rocketing down from the sky and slams into David. He screams in pain and lets Rachel go. Realizing the fight is now two on one, David hedges his bets and leaves. And that's when Rachel realizes it's Tobias. Yay! And he's alive. Yay! Yay! We're all so happy. Tobias is alive. <laughs> he. We find out that it was just another red tail that happened to be unlucky that was taken. Oh, so sad. That is super sad. And also, David makes a comment during this fight that if Rachel dies, it's no big deal because birds die every day, right? Oh, the, oh my God. It's so fucked up because he knows they're people. But yeah. he's just using it as an excuse to not call himself a murderer. You fuck. You fuck. And even so. it. I mean, you're, yeah, you kill an animal, you're still There's murder. so much. There's so much in here. That's fucked Too many up. layers. Too many layers. Um, yeah, they, they, okay, we cut back to the Animorphs <laughs> meeting up. Rachel tells us that Cassie managed to slip some adrenaline into Jake, which woke him up and allowed him to demorph and walk away, much to Cassie's mom's distress, because <laughs> she did recognize the tiger. I feel so bad for her. Um, I do, too. <laughs> so, uh, anyways, I, yeah, Cassie's mom's very distressed by this. Jake had to wait, like, two hours for a bus ride home, which I didn't really get, but whatever. Um, Marco was tied up in the closet and spent the rest of the night getting free and Axe did manage to demorph. He wasn't killed by David and, uh, he had gone looking for Rachel and Tobias and simply, or Rachel at least, not knowing Tobias was still alive and just lost sight of David and flown around all night looking for them. Uh, after all of this has gone down, this is their night. The kids have to go to school the next day. Oh, babies. I know gotta be so hard the life of an animorph mm-hmm. rachel coasted through the first part of the day and by lunch she was a little more awake but they're all exhausted except for cassie who's had four hours of sleep and they fucking hate her for it. <laughs> <laughs> well though she makes some comment to rachel's like wow you're really grumpy when you're on no sleep and it's like yeah. stop Cassie's, like, being really upbeat, and, like, Rachel's, like, really, like, very growly and angry, like, oh, I hate you, and Cassie's like, I don't know why. Like, <laughs> she's delighted that Rachel is so grumpy. Oh, rude. I know. But still funny. Yeah. It was one of the few times where, like, I felt that the friendshipness. Friendship. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> um. Yeah, not good. But uh, Jake, Cassie, Rachel, they all sit together for once at lunch, not caring if people saw them. And then Marco comes over and swings a leg over the chair. And they're like, what the fuck? Marco doesn't do that bullshit. They realize right away this wasn't him. They look over towards the lunch line. They see Marco in line. And Cassie runs off to stop the real Marco from coming over while Rachel and Jake talk to David. Mm. He lets them know he wants the cube. He threatens them. He tries to bargain. They are not biting. They are not giving anything to David. Cassie comes back and she uses a lot of very interesting tactics to make him acknowledge her as a person. She sits close to him. She faces him. He tries to lean away. And when he does that, she speaks to him very softly. So he has to lean in towards her. And it was just this mental warfare that i believe 100 percent that cassie is capable of and knows about but was very unnerving to see yeah in this scene mm-hmm. oh. i'm interested to hear what you thought of that do you want it now 
part. Yeah, give me the snippet right now because I feel like I'm I'm talking a lot. So (laughs) my initial thought is like, how did this come about? Like, I feel like this really didn't, we didn't see this side of her until that shit with, with, um, Aftran. Yeah. Yeah. Like, cause she spent a long time trying to, you know, coax them and manipulate them. And now, ever since that happened, like we've seen this kind of side of her. Um, and it's just, was she kind of like, oh, hey, it worked out with Aftran, you know, maybe I can, like, use this? Or is she just, like, completely doing it unconscious of, of what what she's actually doing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. And is this her breaking down the way that the other Animorphs are starting to break down? Although now that I'm thinking about it, like, she first did this with um, Axe in his first yeah. book. Yeah, very true. Um, and I think it, it made it sound like she and Jake kind of worked out that plan. Cause Jake was probably like, oh, you know how to, you know, you, you know, get people. how to read people and how to like get to people. So yeah, I don't, I wonder how much of this is her like being aware of what she's doing versus like maybe Jake put the idea in her head because he saw that potential in her. I don't know. Yeah, and it's that's hard to make that call in this book as well because so much of it was they, as a team, without really speaking, knew what each of them had to do. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if we'll get that specific distinction or meeting between Jake and Cassie. Yeah. But it's interesting to think about if they kind of worked this out beforehand or maybe just Jake saying like, he said multiple times in this book, I need you to get a read for me. I rely on you to get this read for me. And maybe she's just like... Naturally doing it. Yeah, naturally doing it to like, he's expecting this from me, so I will rise to that occasion. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So anyways, Cassie is just playing this big understanding role and she reveals that David plans to trade the blue box for his parents. Like she just... She read the situation and took a stab at it. Like, you want to use that as your bargaining tool to get your parents. And David's, he becomes vulnerable in that moment where he gets this expression on his face of, like, she read it and I want that and I'm desperate to have my parents back. Mm -hmm. But then he goes, well, I honestly don't even need the box because I'll just trade in the Animorphs and tell Visitor 3 your biggest secret and then I have that as a bargaining chip. And uh, Rachel arms herself with a fork at this point. (laughs) (laughs) David leaves. And at this point, the real Marco approaches them looking like shit. And Rachel jumps up to follow David. Cassie tries to stop her and Jake orders to let her go. It is an order at this point, which I think is an important distinction to make to get where Jake's head is in this moment. Yeah. Rachel runs out after David. As he's walking down the hallway, he starts demorphing, and she follows him outside where she has to kind of jog to catch up to him. She grabs his shoulder, spins him around, and is just ready to confront this motherfucker. David starts to mock her about killing Tobias and saying how sweet it is that she loved him and all that sort of stuff, and Rachel lets him know that he's a worm. She just keeps repeating, you are just a slimy fuck. And she lets him know that if he sells them out to Visitor 3, they won't live long, but she promises that they'll live long enough to make sure that he will never reunite with his parents. And 
When she threatens his parents, he takes a swing at her. She dodges, grabs his head, jams the fork into his ear. She says resisting the urge to twist it so she can, you know, give him more pain and fuck him up a little more. And she lets him know. <laughs> she she tells him that he is now warned that she will kill his parents. And then she just turns and walks away full of hatred, full of rage, high on adrenaline. And she doesn't go back to the cafeteria because she can't face any of the other Animorphs in that moment. And she realizes that her hatred for Jake in that moment is almost more than her hatred for David because he sent her to do this knowing what she would do and still used her in this moment. Oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God. (laughs) So heavy. So fucking intense. And like just Rachel in this moment, like, this was really a turning point for her character. Uh-huh. I don't even know what to say about it because I've I keep asking you every episode that we've recorded, I feel like that, you know, do you think Rachel is kind of cracked or like how do you think of like do you think she's kind of turning this way or that way? And in this moment, like I'm almost I'm too scared to ask, you know. <laughs> I'm not. I'll ask you, but it it feels oh. almost like I should be too afraid to say what do you think of Rachel's actions in this moment? Just um, because it's so dark. I mean, do you want it now or do you want it later? <laughs> I just I keep feeling like I'm just railroading here, so I'm kind of No, I I thought you were just going to like we're going to do the summary and then just like talk a whole bunch at the end and we can like harken back to we can do that i just feel so bad i feel like i'm railroading so i'll issue the apology now i'm sorry audience we will discuss at the end but i i'll just be the railroading asshole right now i i think we need to with this book though because it's just it's so heavy yeah okay yeah all right so don't worry about it as long as we have agreement yeah we can post our recorded agreement that i'm not a total (laughs) asshole no 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 no. you're you're doing great (laughs) okay um we cut to uh, finding out that Jake's parents have returned, Sadler is alive, and Rachel gets home and tries to sleep. But all she can think of she, is how she became this way. She's tossing and turning and wondering when did she get so violent and why hadn't she noticed and why had everyone else noticed and why did Jake send her to do this terrible, terrible thing? And almost coming back to, am I a good person? Um, she contemplates this back and forth for a long time. Eventually, she must have fallen asleep because she wakes up to her sister screaming about a phone call and, are you deaf? Because she didn't hear the phone, and it's from Jake. She picks up, Jake says, it's time to work on that extra credit project. And as she goes to leave, her mom tries to rope her into babysitting, which would have kind of been a big deal earlier in the series, but as of right now, she just thinks about telling her mom, like, Or she thinks about telling Jake, you know, sorry, I can't be there because I have to be a babysitter. Ha ha. And then she just starts manipulating her younger sisters. She calls Jordan a baby and like says, oh, you're the babysitter, blah, blah, blah. But Jordan wants to be viewed as an older kid. So eventually she cons Jordan into babysitting Sarah so she can make it out of there, (laughs) which is just an interesting shift. (laughs) Yeah. She makes it to the barn. Everyone is there, including Marco, and they all start testing him and making jokes and seeing how he responds. And 
Then ax, or, and then Marco asks them to kindly knock it off because he's afraid he's going mi- to miss a punchline and Rachel's going to morph to Grizzly and eat him. <laughs> Which cracked me up. Um, Axe then informs them all in thought speech that uh, what's being discussed here is not the real plan due to a potential security breach. The kids morph Seagull. They fly out to the ocean where they can now speak freely knowing that they can't be overheard. They go through the real plan. It's absolutely insane the plan they proposed to in the barn was very similar to their first one of going into the pillar and breaking up the meetings and warning all the world leaders with a few minor detail changes this new plan the one they're actually doing rachel describes it as when you know you're losing a game of chess so you just grab the board and throw it across the room (laughs) which sounds amazing (laughs) sounds like her kind of plan (laughs) It sounds like her kind of plan, and it sounds like something I would like to do in my lifetime. (laughs) (laughs) They head towards the zoo, because they have to get some serious firepower for Cassie, Marco, Axe, and Tobias. And then they fly to the beach. While they're flying out there, a storm is brewing and then breaks. And it's one of those intense storms where it's just gales of wind and rain and the ocean has 20 foot waves and there's huge lightning and huge thunder and it they just can't fly through it anymore so they go down to the ocean and decide to morph to dolphin to go the rest of the way there this is where i wrote there's thunderbolts and lightning very 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 frightening frightening. (laughs) (laughs) so there's your queen reference for this one yes the seas are so rough, they decide to morph one at a time so that they can help keep each other afloat. And Cassie goes first, naturally, because she's the fastest morpher. Natch. But she's struggling. <laughs> Natch, Natch 20 morpher. <laughs> um, but she's still struggling. She's still getting pushed under. And Rachel decides to morph right away to help her, but ends up just getting pummeled and pushed under the water. And then she's all of a sudden confused, doesn't know up from down. Luckily, Cassie's there and comes to her rescue, pulls her up to the surface, and lets her breathe for a minute before she has to morph. Eventually, they all make it to Dolphin Morph, um, Tobias being the worst one. They all had to support him while he morphed. (laughs) And they're now ten minutes behind schedule. They head out to the resort. We find out what the brilliant plan is. The kids go up on shore. They almost beach themselves to get into their next morphs. They go back to their human children people selves and they are being hammered into the sand with every single wave it is just crashing on them and pushing them down and just terrifying but they have to stay hidden until the last possible minute because security is everywhere as they pass into their next morph things get a little easier they get some weight to them they start growing everybody's getting huge jake and marco are now rhinos axe cassie tobias and rachel they're elephants The plan is simply to destroy as many of the bungalows and cottage things as they can containing these world leaders. So So the kids... Sorry. Sorry. Um, So Axe is an elephant and he makes some comments about like, oh, this nose is so great. It's so nimble. And I'm just like imagining him like trying to do different things with the trunk. Like, like, I don't know, pick up like a teacup. It's so cute. I did hope for a minute. The next part of the scene after Axe makes that comment is uh, Rachel like looking out at all of them coming out of the surf. And I did hope for just a second we would see Axe like waving his trunk around weird, like testing it out. (laughs) But we don't. It's too serious of a scene. We don't get that. Oh, but I had hoped. 
It would be so cute. That's so funny. I love Axe. I love him so much. Same. But um, the kids start with their plan to scare the crap out of the security guards. And I wrote, thus ends the normal description of an Animorphs plan. Um, normally, we would get kind of snippets of what everybody's doing, this very guerrilla warfare attack, surprise, hiding different strengths and weaknesses. But this time, Jake rallies the troops and yells, charge, and it's this actual cavalry charge of four elephants and two rhinos going across the beach towards these bungalows where people are shooting at them, and there's lightning dramatically lighting up the silhouettes of these giant tanks of animals while they charge into battle with these men's and guns all over the place, and they start tearing through the walls of the cottages, just causing this mass panic. It's like Jumanji. It's like Jumanji, and it is epic and amazing and such a cool scene. And Jake, who we know has been reading up on historical battles and leaders, it is just taking on this role that is so much more than what he has been in the past books. Yeah. And even Marco, he makes a comment like, Charge, what is this? Some sort of like war movie? But... It feels half-hearted, even in the writing. <laughs> it's just so good. Um, so they start tearing down these small cottages, and Rachel and Marco tag-team into one of these little bungalows. And once they break in, one of the dignitaries is sitting there in the most fancy dress, minus some pants, drinking. <laughs> I love this image. <laughs> He's just sitting in the chair with a glass of something fancy, <laughs> fully dressed up tuxedo top in his underwear and he just stares them down my god it's so good he stares them down until his security comes bursting in he presumably orders them in some other language not to shoot and makes a gesture to rachel and marco that's akin to after you <laughs> and they go charging out the back wall of the bungalow and all they hear as they go charging out is this guy laughing hysterically at what just happened. That guy's my favorite. This is my favorite NPC. <laughs> He's so good. Oh, man. oh my god. Please do a portrait of him. <laughs> no, he just, he sounds so amazing. So, um, the kids continue to romp around this, this bungalow site, causing wanton destruction until backup arrives. <laughs> Rachel bursts in on the president and is being shot relatively badly in the face. Marco wants to see the president, but this is not the time because guys on ropes have started to descend from helicopters above them. And now there's machine gun fire. They start retreating back to the ocean, knowing they've caused a, a lot of destruction at this point. And Rachel's hit in her rear leg by the machine gun fire, and it feels like her leg is on fire. She starts moving back out there until she sees Tony run in front of her, the security protocol dude. He cuts her off, and he looks enraged. And that's when Rachel takes a pretty good guess that it's Visor 3 and not Tony. And Visor 3 starts screaming threats, and Rachel tries to charge him, but her leg just doesn't hold up. It collapses underneath her weight, and Tony kind of skips away out of, out of range. They all retreat into the ocean at this point, and they are just happy to be alive and they think this mission was a relative success at least at this point they're they don't really know 
Um, and they all start to demorph. The bullets fall away harmlessly from them as they're demorphing. And they're exhausted, but they're alive. They get into dolphin morph as fast as they can, which always gets them pretty happy. But once they're there, they fire off some echolocation and they notice something. It's a killer whale. <sighs> that morph Tyus is too goes, good for you, you fuck! That morph is way too good for you. Cassie does mention it's weird that it's a lone killer whale because they travel in pods, but it's a killer whale nonetheless. Tobias says, let's get under the, the Coast Guard boat and let the propeller noise kind of scare him away and confuse him. So they go, they race under the boat, they're there, and David then says, that would have worked if I was just a regular orca, but it's David. You fuck. You fuck. You don't deserve that morph. You don't deserve anything, David. You deserve nothing but destruction and death. <laughs> I fucking hate him. Uh, was this, like, especially horrible for you because you love killer whales and this is your, like, preferred sea battle morph? Um. Or were you just like, I fucking hate this guy and, oh, look, he's just being a dick again. Fuck him. Yeah, I mean, it kind of, it made it a little more bitter, but for the most part, it was <laughs> just that I hate him so much. Okay. Like, I fucking hate him. <laughs> oh, he's the worst. Um, David does come after them, but during his moderate monologue, <laughs> he mentions that there's only five, and they realize that he still thinks Tobias is dead. So they quickly tell Tobias to hang back, but Axe goes, wait. He said five of us, but we're all morph dolphins. He has no way of knowing which one Tobias is. Is there anything that can defeat him? And Jake's like, ah, good idea, Axe. Uh, they have a Prince Jake exchange, which was extremely sweet after the ending of the last book, where Jake says, like, you know, normally they have this little prince thing going on where he always corrects Axe, but he didn't feel like joking. And it was almost... I. It felt like in this moment, it was like a reward for Axe, like a really good personal nudge between them, like yeah. awesome job. So I, I just had to mention it because I loved that moment. Mm. So Cassie hangs back and the plan is get David to target one of them and anybody who he's not targeting, go after him and try to go for the eyes because hopefully it'll stop him. Uh, they're just trying to keep him busy till Cassie can enter. <laughs> um... <laughs> David and Rachel start to have this exchange where David says, oh, it's crazy, Rachel. And she says, that's rich coming from you. And then David immediately blurts out, I'm not crazy. You're the one that threatened to kill my parents. And no one comes to her defense. And Rachel is more upset by this than anything else going on in this situation. This scene. Because this whole scene, she's just horrified that not one of her friends believes that she you know wouldn't do this like they all know her so well that she can't lie about this and she does try she says no i didn't but it's very easy to see that yeah she would yeah so rachel starts swimming away and david starts chasing her and they're kind of going back and forth she's trying to dodge him she propels into the air and he leaps up under her with his mouth open and she starts falling right towards where his open jaws are but he didn't get as much power as her so she kind of like slips back and he slips back in the water and she kind of is able to get a lucky break and slip past him she starts maneuvering around like you know 
dipping around him and finally gets kind of into his blind spot where as long as she matches his movements, he can't get to her. But he tries going after someone else. And so Rachel tries to bite his tail to stop him. But that is the wrong move. It's so powerful that just by flipping his tail, he stuns her, tears out a bunch of teeth, and she's really disoriented and can't get away. So he turns around. He's going to come back and he's about to get her. But once again, Cassie comes to the rescue and charges him as a full-grown humpback whale. Nice. She says a very lame line about being Moby Cassie. Yeah. It's very lame. (laughs) Um, But it does successfully scare David off, probably just from sheer size alone. So the kids leave. They all go home. They all try to get some sleep. Rachel decided school wasn't happening, and this was shortly confirmed by Jordan coming into her room to tell her that Sadler is not looking good. It looks like he's going to die. And Rachel kind of brushes it off, um, but then she realizes Jordan's looking for someone to talk to. So Rachel tries to comfort Jordan by saying it's only human to rationalize that nothing bad can happen to you because the only people that bad things happen to are careless or bad and it's hard to think that you're one of the good guys and bad things can happen to you so she tells jordan that you gotta you gotta keep yourself from thinking that bad things can happen to everyone you love at any time and you just have to build up a wall against that fear and jordan's eventually comforted by this talk and leaves and rachel starts to get up and go through her morning routine so she's in the bathroom splashing some cold water on her face and then David starts talking to her in thought speech oh, and mocking her. I Oh my god. Like, he just gets worse and worse. It's so creepy. And she's like, she has no idea. She's looking around, doesn't see anything. She doesn't know if he's in her bathroom or if he's on her body. Oh, sorry. I, Which is, I broke the audio with that. I'm sorry. No, acceptable. It's horrifying. Oh my just, god, you creepy motherfucker. Stop. It's so creepy and it's so fucked up and it's well, so inappropriate. Oh god. Like she was about to get into the shower. Like fuck. Yeah, and it's so it's like this weird it's not just it's almost new territory I think for Animorphs because it's not just breaking the body horror thing. It's not just breaking yeah. the personal space thing. It's not breaking the spying yeah. thing. It's now turned into this weird like sexual abuse on top of it. Yeah, it's and predatory. That's something we've never had to deal with. Yeah, I mean, I shouldn't say that because Rachel did get attacked um, in, in yeah her book mm-hmm. in her first book, but this was different. Yeah. This was something she couldn't fight against. Yeah. And this is like, like he can come into your house anytime without you knowing. And like, you already knew you had to get rid of him, but this is like another level of he has to go. Absolutely. And, um, it honestly just spirals into something way worse in the next couple chapters. Yeah. Uh, so He's threatening her in her own bathroom. She has no idea where he is. And he's threatening her family. He's saying, I'm here to deliver a threat. And that's, I know where you live. And I know your family. And um, he says, give me the blue box and I won't touch them. And Rachel asks, why? So you can make more traitors like you? And David then hesitates and changes his tactic a little bit. He says, hey, how about this? You don't harm my family and I won't touch yours. And Rachel says, fine. 
his threats kind of rattle her, but she's not one to back down. But she does skip the shower that morning. Yeah. Rachel gets to Jake's house two hours to the minute after this confrontation with David happened. Mm-hmm. Because that's when he would be stuck in morph or demorphed and gone for sure. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't know if he was on her that whole time. <laughs> oh, God. I hate it so she, much. It's so bad. Oh. Um, Jake answers the door and she pulls him out of the house by his shirt collar, which surprises both her and Jake and anyone I assume who witnesses him. <laughs> and they start to have this confrontation. And Rachel starts by asking Jake why he called her instead of anyone else. And Jake first started trying to lie his way out of it. She tells him about the whole David thing. And then Rachel doesn't accept that Jake is saying that he was. she was just there because she had the best morphs for this. She's going, yeah, I do have the most firepower, but I don't think that's what this was about. And then she goes, and you didn't come to my defense when David was the, when David admitted in front of everybody that, or accused her in front of everybody that she threatened to kill his parents. And Jake goes, it was a combat situation. I didn't have time to stop and explain to David or explain to everyone that David was lying. And Rachel's like, well, he wasn't lying. And I think Jake knows that, but uh, you know, I don't really know. And um, when it came to the question of why did he let her go after David? What did he think would happen? Jake doesn't really have an answer, but they're interrupted by Jake's dad saying, Hey, like we all got to get in, go see Sadler. You know, we're, we're all going. Um, Rachel kind of tries to bail, but then gets swept up in this whole thing and ends up in the van. And she contemplates how Jake is lying, thinking about how she wouldn't threaten David's life. He's He clearly knows she would. Um, and then how Jake just looks like a normal teenager in this van that's slightly exasperated by all of these people being around him and going together to this place. And how you would never know half of what Jake is about just seeing him on the street Mm -hmm. and how that's true for all of them yeah so the entire family gets to the hospital to the PICU is how i'm gonna assume that's said unit which has uh apparently an impossibly high success rate of 95 percent, which i highly doubt um but sadler was not a part of the 95 percent. he was part of the five percent he's dying and this is them saying goodbye to him Mm -hmm. however as the family approaches the bed there's this crazy activity going on around him. Nurses running around, doctors running around, some looking happy and some looking angry and some looking just concerned and like they don't know what's going on. And they're like, the family starts going, what's happening? What What is this commotion? And the, one of the doctors says, I don't know how to say this. Sadler was dying. We were rushing him into surgery, but he was going. The elevator jammed unexpectedly. And when it was working again... It opened. The nurses and the doctors had been knocked out, and Sadler was still in the bed. But when they wheeled him into surgery, he opened his eyes, he looked at them, and he said, hi. And he was fine. There was nothing wrong with him. No broken bones, no bruises, no bumps, nothing. He was alive, and he was well, and it was a miracle. The family is swept up in all this celebration, and Rachel's kind of passively watching this until she looks over and sees Jake, who's stayed against the wall the whole time, and he is seething. He has this look of rage on his face, and that's when Rachel realizes what she missed at first. This isn't Sadler. This is David. (sighs) 
Again, just when you think he can't get any worse and he can't stoop any lower. And he just broke his pact or whatever you want to call it about killing people. Yeah, the kid was dying, but he just hid this dying kid's body somewhere. That's the other thing. We don't know where he hid the body. Yeah. And so this kid is spending his last minutes dying alone somewhere in a hospital because of David. Oh, my God. I I kind of... I was aware of that, but, like, I I kind of overlooked it. And now you're repeating that back to me now. I'm just, like, I'm sick to my stomach. Yeah. You. It's absolute fuck. He's disgusting. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um... But it gets worse. <laughs> so David slash Sadler is soaking up all this attention. And there's a gap for a moment where people step aside from surrounding his bed. And he has a direct line of sight to Jake and Rachel. And he looks at them with absolute triumph on his face. And when he finally has to demorph to reset the two hour time limit, he blows past them on his way to the bathroom and starts mocking them for losing to him and then he starts demanding the blue box within 24 hours otherwise he's going to keep up this situation where he is sadler instead of letting sadler die as he should um (laughs) so fucked up Mm. um Once he's in the bathroom demorphing, Rachel and Jake get into the hallway because this is one of the few moments they're going to have the guaranteed privacy to have the discussion that they must have. Rachel asks Jake, are you going to hand over the blue box? And Jake, despite himself, says, absolutely not. And Rachel admires that. And then she gets her time to ask Jake what he intended by calling on her to come back him up that night. And Jake answers honestly. He said he would rather have Rachel than any of the other Animorphs in this fight. But he is worried about her, about this darkness that's growing inside of her. And he thinks that she's addicted to this war and that if it all ended tomorrow, she would be the only one that's disappointed. And Rachel responds that, hey, it's not like you could go back either. You're the leader and the decision maker. Could you go back to being a mediocre basketball player and a student? And then she insists that, well, yeah, she does enjoy some of the fighting and and some of this war. She knows where the line is. And that's when Jake says, yeah, but everyone's line is in a different place. Cassie's is different from Marco's and Marco's is different from mine. And I thought that my line would stop before using my own friends, my own cousin to accomplish my missions. But it turned out that that's not the case, that I'll use you. And then he just apologizes to her without agreeing to rectify the situation or change anything he just apologizes in this way that's like and i'll keep doing Mm -hmm. it i'm sorry yep and rachel just hugs him she just hugs him and they in this moment of sharing truth together without actually resolving any of this conflict are again a united front just knowing where each other is coming from and knowing that they're both slipping further down the slope fucking love this book <laughs> like ugh. i do too as much as i as much as i hate I, david <laughs> i love it because i have so much hatred yeah it like 
so many emotions. Like anything that can make me feel this many emotions is like, oh my god, this is good. It is so, so good. Oh. And it is so not a children's book. I know! <laughs> oh. All right. So Jake is going to meet with David and Sadler, who has been released from the hospital because nothing was wrong with him. Um, so the kids are meeting at the barn without Tobias, and they're discussing what they intend to do with Sadler, David, and they say the truth is that he just outsmarted them, and he's broken Xena, finally. <laughs> he's figured out how to live this new life as Sadler. He's created this perfect plan. They are very complimentary of him. They are very critical of Rachel, saying that she's finally fallen, and Marco even says he's kind of glad that Xena was finally brought down and defeated. And, um... The plan is to give him the blue box so he leaves the Animorphs alone. Uh, Cassie's the one that was charged with hiding the blue box. She had Axe help her break it down and she says, Rachel helped me hide it because I was nervous about where we were hiding it. And um, they'll go bring David a rat so that he can acquire it and they'll and morph it. And um, they're giving up. And there's this really interesting nod here where Jake says that David is staying in his room and he's sleeping on the couch. And it, if you read into it a lot and you think like, oh, this is like, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Mm -hmm. That's actually a Sun Tzu quote. Nice. <laughs> yeah. So it was, if you read into it, an interesting nod. Um, but they're going to surrender to Sadler David and they're going to give him the blue box and... That is the conclusion of this meeting. Jake goes home and there he can tell that David slash Sadler is being fawned over by everyone. He calls the other Anwars, lets them know that's where he is. And the team gets to work building something. They chit chat and even Axe joins the pointless banter about the weather. Um, Tobias confirms that he saw David fly from Jake's before that meeting that they just had all together. Other than Tobias. And he saw him demorph. He went to Rattlesnake and then went into the barn. And that's good enough for the team to believe he was listening in on their meeting. Mm -hmm. Which means we're good. Yep. <laughs> Axe, um, Tobias has to leave. So Axe goes human and starts talking about cinnamon buns and how good his hands are for working. And this is important because the contraption they're building, if it doesn't work, they are all going to have to become killers. And Rachel makes a point to say... All of us will be responsible for this death. Mm -hmm. David sets up a public meeting place once he finds out about this surrender. He wants to meet at Taco Bell. They stagger the team a little bit. Rachel and Axe are sitting together at a table. Jake is waiting for David Sadler. Marco and Cassie are somewhere around. And Axe is eating everything, <laughs> including the bag and the hot sauce packets. Oh, God. He still... <laughs> Even in the darkest He's... hour, we have this... It bright ray of hope we do even in the darkest hour there will be a carton of refried beans <laughs> sweet baby. oh he's so sweet um and he tries to get rachel to explain the flavor hot to him and she's trying to explain like not temperature it's spicy it means spicy you know and then she goes oh just drop it and axe drops <laughs> a carton of refried beans <laughs> on the table no oh, oh. axe this is when Sadler slash David comes swaggering in, looking extremely smug. And Rachel just wants to wipe the look off of his face. And 
Jake sits down next to David Sadler. Rachel and Axe are there, and David demands that Axe leaves because this is a human-only matter. Oh, come on. Yeah. Axe looks to Jake, who just nods for him to leave, and he does. And Rachel looks defeated, and she gets up to leave, but David grabs her arm and makes her sit back down. Don't touch Jake her. Jake agrees to give... Seriously, don't touch her. <laughs> Jake agrees to give him the blue box, and he says that Cassie will lead him there. David demands Rachel takes him, and Rachel goes, I don't know where it is, and David accuses them of lying. Of course she knows where it is. They say, oh, you've, again, you've taken us as fools. You were in the barn listening the whole time. Oh, my God. <laughs> You're so smart. And Jake is very angry and says, fine, Rachel will take you. And Rachel goes, I don't want to be alone with David. I'm scared of what he might do to me. And Jake calls her a coward. This was oh. a moment in their plan that they thought might have gone wrong. But David immediately jumps on board with calling her a coward and smears refried beans down Rachel's shirt sleeves. And then Rachel begins to cry. And this moment, even now, Jake was so worried that he knew nothing about David. He knows how every member of his team would react except for David. But in this moment, he uses the fact that he doesn't know anything about David to manipulate David. It's ingenious. <sighs> um, so we cut to Rachel leading David to the construction site. She's a seagull. He's a golden eagle. He's following right behind her, chasing her down. Rachel lands, and David orders her to stay in seagull morph as he demorphs. And then once he's a human, he says, demorph and go directly to your rat morph. So she does, and David stands over her the whole time, talking about how it was such a shame that she was you know, on this loser team and that she was such a loser because if only she had been more brave, he would have invited her to join him instead of staying <laughs> with this team. And, <laughs> the fucking like, you're so beautiful. We could have ruled the world together. Ugh. It's exactly you like that. fucking slimy weasel piece of... <laughs> I hate him. <laughs> and this whole time, he's just doing everything to stay in his position of power and to be able to crush her. Oh. Like, you know, the golden eagle would have killed the seagull. Yeah. As she's morphing to rat, he could stomp her. Yeah. Once she's fully rat, he starts morphing. He goes rattlesnake and coils around her, keeping her within an inch of his fangs. And then he says to the others, land and demorph. So they all demorph with Rachel being held here between all the coils of the snake. And he says, go cockroach. And Jake protests. He goes, that's not part of the deal. But David just laughs and says, what do you think? I'm stupid. So they morph to cockroach. And we quickly find out through private thought speak. They anticipated this. He then demorphs to human. He finds an old Pepsi bottle. He pops all the cockroaches in there and screws the top back on laughing at his ingenuity. Because they're trapped in there and no one can demorph or they'll get crushed and... Now with the two-hour time limit, there's this very finite timer on them getting all the pieces of the blue box. So Rachel scurries into the building and down a drain, leading David now, who's morphed to rat as well. She's leading him down this drain to the pieces of the blue box. And they go down this tunnel where they can't even turn around. If they reached in, they can feel the piece of it. So he orders Rachel to grab it and drag it out. She does, and she's kind of bumping into him the whole time and says that they have to do this until they can get to the side tunnel where they can turn around. So they do, and Rachel says, okay, let's take it out of here. And David goes, 
um, are you stupid? Why wouldn't we get all the pieces at one time and then push them up the, the pipe? And Rachel makes this big show of saying, oh my God, you're right. We just didn't think of that. You're, you know, you're very smart. And David is just getting more and more fucking cocky as this goes <sighs> on. That's when Rachel privately thought speaks to Cassie and asks her if they're ready. Cassie says they're ready. And then she asks for forgiveness for what they're about to do. Rachel is leading David around these tunnels and collecting pieces, and she leads him to the next part of the plan. They walk into a seemingly cavernous place, but then she realizes they can hear a jet overhead, and they shouldn't be able to hear it. So she tries to distract him, but it tips David off, and they realize they're about the same space away from the tunnel pipe. And David jumps on Rachel and starts tearing at her face, and they just start scrabbling and... Rachel tries to run towards the pipe, but David grabs onto her tail, and she can't move forward. She doesn't have much choice, so she turns around towards David, just like how she wanted, but instead of fighting him, she chews off her own tail and takes off towards the end of the pipe, screaming, Now! 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 So metal. She scrabbles out of there ahead of David. They slam the gate down. If she had had a tail, it would have been caught, but instead, they got David in this metal box and he immediately starts conceding his defeat saying haha you got me okay uh, i'll go on my own way it's not a big deal like you know you got me you guys are better i'll just i'll leave now and then david realizes what their plan is and starts to panic no one reacts jake tries to explain why they're doing this and just how important it is that they fight the yurks and they save the human race but it just falls flat instead rachel says you guys leave i'll handle it and they hesitate and rachel says go and starts screaming saying get out of here this is a security breach to have us all here we can't all stay and you guys know that i'll i'll do this and it won't affect me and they all know she's lying (laughs) but they leave except for axe who stays to keep track of time so they stay with David for two hours and for two hours they listen to him cry and plead and scream and beg to be let out and to not be trapped as a rat but they see the two hours through and when it's done they take turns um, as an eagle and as a harrier carrying him they fly him out to this island of jagged rock and nothing and There are other rats there, so they say there must be some sort of food source, but they don't really care. They leave him there. And as they fly away from this rock where they dropped him, they just listen to his screams of no dying away as they fly back towards home. Jesus. And Axe says, Rachel? And Rachel goes, yeah. And Axe goes, I I don't think I ever want to talk about this again. And Rachel says nothing back to Axe, but she does say that on that day some of the joy and the exhilaration that she felt when she was in battle fell away and she doesn't feel that way anymore and maybe she grew up in that moment they fly over the destroyed resort and they think about Sadler's family and how they've lost their child again except how this time there's no body to mourn and they don't hear from David ever again at least not directly because 
months later in school, they hear some kid talking about a haunted island where if you get close enough, you can hear the screams of no in the distance. Oh, God. That's the end of this book. Fuck. Yeah. Oh. Yep. Wow. Shit's getting real now. And thus concludes the David trilogy. You're right. This is not a kid's book anymore. This is not at all a kid's book anymore. Rachel's not the only one that grew up. Every every yeah. kid reading this, I think, some of their innocence died. Yeah, oh. I would think so. Oh, no. I would absolutely think so. And I would be very interested to hear from anyone who read this as a kid that like what they thought of it because I know that I just hated David and I remember thinking even as a kid which probably is terrible for me to say but I was like this isn't better they should have killed him yeah yeah I well I mean if he's now a rat he's probably not gonna live that much longer right if he has a rat lifespan well, theoretically, yeah, a couple years, because they, like, three to five years, yeah. but he's an adult, so I don't know. So the first read-through, like, I just kind of, like, sped through it all, and I, I, I had some emotional um, reactions to some of the things in the book, but mm-hmm. not as much as um, I had when you were retelling it. Like, I didn't fully register, like, the weight of what he did to Sadler and stuff. Um, so like by the end of the, of my read through, I, I felt a lot of like, as much as I hated David, I did feel a lot of pity for him at the end because of what they had to do to him. But when we were recording just now, like I was, I don't know if I felt quite as much pity. I was like, he was a really terrible person, (laughs) but yeah, I, I I kind of agree. Like, I don't I don't think having him as a Nothlet is necessarily better. Like, you've basically killed him. Yeah, and it was kind of a loophole to say like we didn't we haven't crossed that line to murder yet, but it's it's a very self serving line that they've drawn that mm-hmm. isn't necessarily better and. I mean, I'd say it's probably worse. Like, if they had to kill them, it's over and done with. But he's not going to die this slow starvation or being hunted by a predator or just living out a very short rat life. Like, Mm -hmm. it's... And... Yeah. Just the fact that they had to, you know, sit there and, and listen to him scream for two hours and then, you know leave him on an island and listen to him scream more it's kind of like you're you're gonna feel the same effect of if you had killed him probably yeah and for rachel to say like she's something broke in her that day like what does that mean for her (laughs) yeah because she wasn't i mean it's she was ready to to murder at one point in this book when she thought he had killed Tobias and then she kind of backtracked on that Mm -hmm. but she 
still sat there and listened to him scream and beg and plead and her being closer to Anophilet than theoretically anyone else she knew full well what his life was going to be once they passed that two hour time limit that's kind of more fucked up almost yeah it's not great but what else what were their other options yeah um so all that said this i think is my favorite rachel book like everything i said in previous rachel books like what i wanted to see from her as far as like Mm -hmm. character growth i got it in this book like she she could have easily been like oh yeah i'm i'm totally the murdering type i will i will murder this guy and not have any conflict about it like she wasn't that she i love that she was conflicted about it and that she basically went through this i can say out front that i'll murder him but when it really comes down to it i don't want to be that person but when it comes down to it again i will be that person and it will it'll kill a part of me like that's just oh god it's so deep like with cassie it stops at i will not murder but Rachel, it's one step beyond that of, I'll say I'll murder, but I don't want to, but I will. And that's just so intense. And, and oh my God, she's so complex. Yeah. <laughs> she is super complex. And it, and it means a lot that, that she had that moment of like, of realization that the others know that she's like that. And and that the others had this like impression of her as being like the loose cannon. I'll, I'll do whatever. I'll I'll kill somebody, and it won't bother me. Like the fact that that meant something to her, and that she felt conflicted about how people saw her. Like that also was just really like good for me. Yeah i I loved that moment, and I also I loved that it was this growth of she's always kind of reveled in the fact that people are like she's xena warrior princess she'll do what has to be done she'll take care of these situations but in the moment where it became not so much a sort of you know school ground kind of front that they're putting on like it's not this big show when it actually came down to it and she realized that her friend the people she's closest to in this world thought of her in all seriousness as the one who could pull off this murder or who would threaten people's families she realized like maybe that's not what i want to be thought of Mm -hmm. and that was (laughs) it's the a moment that like i can distinctly like part of your personality surfacing like almost a moment of becoming one step closer to a fully realized adult because it's not just playground talk anymore. And um, I loved the tension between Jake and Rachel in this book. Like, you know, Rachel went to very dark places, but Jake has also been going to really dark places. And he's like, I know my team so well and I'm using them for you know my own gain and i know that i'm using them and i have to keep doing this and it's killing me to do this but this is a war and i have to make that call because i'm the leader like he's like he's he's stopped resisting the whole leadership thing like in um what i finally known as the internet book 
Like he was still like, <laughs> I don't want to be the leader. I, I, I kind of have to be, but I, I still, I really don't want this. And now he's just like, I'm the leader and I will make the tough calls and it's going to kill me. But this is what has to be done. <laughs> it's just. Yeah. <sighs> God. And his entire book, I feel was like, we said it was a team book almost because Jake gave himself over finally to being the cohesive leader of this team and knowing what every member would do. And he finally took that dive. And then the next thing that happens in Rachel's book is Rachel pushing him to say, you're the leader. Now tell me the truth, which is another thing that we've struggled with throughout the books of them hiding things from each other. And there was, finally this confrontation where rachel said tell me the truth Mm -hmm. and he did and it united them so beautifully Mm -hmm. in this moment it was just a master stroke yeah and like it united them but it also like brought something to light that they've i think they've been trying to put off by being this truthful with each other Mm-hmm. They've done that at the sacrifice of killing more of their innocence, I feel like. Absolutely. Yeah. And this felt like like one of the biggest kind of chunks taken off. Like we mm-hmm. we see them growing, we see them losing some of their innocence in every single book. Yep. And this one was just it went from chopping off inch by inch to a foot. Yep. Absolutely. I think ultimately David, David's presence in the group, like, I think that it drove them to that point. And I think, at least from, like, Jake's perspective, it's like, you are hurting my people. You are killing my people. Like, you're not just, it, it felt more personal. Like, it's not just like you're a threat to the fate of the world. He is a threat to the fate of the world. But you are killing my people. You're killing my family. You're killing my friends. And that, I think that just, like, snapped something in them. Yeah. And as much as Visitor 3 is a villain, he is campy. Mm -hmm. And now we have this guy who kidnapped someone's body, someone's life, and literally killed a kid that was in this dire strait, left him to die, hid his body from his family. Like, he committed these atrocities mm-hmm. that we have seen implied similar, like, you know, murder stuff with Visitor 3. He murders people all the time. But this was the first moment that it was so personal and so in your face and horrific because of what was done. And to have to confront that now was just a very different feeling. Yeah. That motherfucker. Oh. Uh. I hate him. (laughs) I hate him so much. Oh, God. And it was just so interesting to watch his progression from being like kind of this... I don't even know how to describe him at the beginning, but just kind of this kid who felt kind of off. And for him to slowly start like getting worse and worse. And then by this book, he was just like, oh, you think the bar's low now? Let me just lower it another peg. Yeah, let me knock it down again. Like... Like, absolutely all redemption for this kid just, like, went out the window. Um, Probably with the end of of the last book we read. But, like, just... It was so beautifully crafted. And the way that it was written and that it kind of took you through that journey of 
like you can tell something something is off with this kid and that he we can't quite trust him and that and then we feel kind of this anger that he's such a you know that he's such a wuss and then you know this actual like hateful rage towards all these atrocities he's committing and it's just the way these books are so freaking good they are and it's so they're so intense that they so in my mind they so deserve to be treated with this huge amount of gravity and this large amount of like respect for what they did but then once you zoom out and like look at it objectively like not being in the book and in the animorphs heads and not feeling what they're feeling it there's a lot of criticism around this decision to trap him as a nothlet and saying how could they do this like it's so depraved it's this is the most fucked up thing the animorphs have done and how could they do this and the criticism of them is something that i've always had troubles coming to terms with because i agree going through this book and going through this journey with them that something had something very dramatic had to be done to Mm -hmm. him and they had so few options Mm -hmm. but it's it's a hard thing to struggle with it's one of those conversations you have where like it can happen over and over again and you might not come to the same conclusion every single time oh i want to give a shout out to rachel um when she and Axe were going over to Marco's house to check on him and they mm-hmm. saw the open window and they immediately thought this could be a trap. It just harkens back to in previous books when Rachel was like, okay, there's a destination. I'm going to fly in just like ignoring everything else. But no, she saw that window and they were like, that's a trap. We're not going to fly in there. I just, I love that. She's yeah. <laughs> they've come so far. They have come so far because <laughs> that was why i was so mad in her last book is because she was diving into things without thinking and now she's thinking and it's great yeah and it man i think it was the switch of threats that really triggered that change in her like because most of the time we're dealing with you know visitor three and he's kind of like over the top and ridiculous or the hork and they're not very intelligent so rachel's like just put on the show of force, get into yeah. it, blah, 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 And with David, it was so much more of a mind game than anything yeah, else. it was much more sinister almost. Yeah, it was way more sinister than Visitor 3, which I don't know if that's right. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I honestly, I love in like books and movies and tv shows when you have like the main villain and it's kind of formulaic like you spend every episode like trying to defeat the main villain but every so often you get another antagonist and they are just somehow so much worse than the main villain it almost makes you appreciate the main villain a little bit more yeah and i oh my god just adding that extra level of darkness is just oh it is choice it is. And it didn't have to be this way. Is. Like, it could have worked out fine, like, if David wasn't such a terrible person. Yeah. And any thoughts of, like, oh, he's not a terrible person, and he's, you know, it's a kid that had to go through all this shit, and he's lost everything, his family, his mm-hmm. house, his identity, even. He's lost everything, and he just takes it somewhere that 
he can't be redeemed. It's just he can't be redeemed and it's purely on him. Like he blames everyone else for his problems. You did this to me. You made me lose my family. You did this. and it's like yeah, but in every situation you could have chosen to do the right thing or to be a better person or to rise above the situation and you instead chose to be this. Yeah. And I'm so disgusted at all the times Cassie tried to comfort I, him. Not at her. Yeah. But yeah. Just, he's disgusting. Yeah. Those those parts definitely made my stomach churn. I'm like, don't. Oh, man. Yeah. And I feel like, I don't know if this is important to say, but I'll try to articulate something here. <laughs> but it's, I don't want to say like oh like you know Kay Applegate had this perfect story this perfect writing set like we can't criticize some of the decisions she made but this is one of the books that I read where I'm like I hate so much about David I agree with like everything that the Animorphs decided and did and looking at it I feel like I should have something to say like, well, you know, they didn't have to do that to David or they could have done this or they could have done that and it wouldn't have to lead to this terrible decision that is basically as good as, if not worse than murder. But I don't feel any room to criticize her in here. Like mm-hmm. the way it was written, I just, I guess I fell for it. You know? Yeah, no, I'm, I feel the same way. Like, Yeah. Well, um, I think one of the other things that we wanted to talk about a lot was uh, Rachel becoming introspective. Yeah. And I know loved, you, you had a lot on Loved that. that. I don't know. I, maybe maybe because she was so introspective in this book, that's why this is probably my favorite Rachel book to date. I don't know. I, I know it must have been... Um, it, it, it pro- being introspective doesn't come naturally to her. And it's, and it's interesting that this is what it took for her to become that. Yeah, and the fact that when she started being introspective, she didn't like what she saw. Yeah. Which was an interesting narrative to to read through. Mm-hmm. Like, she's conflicted. <laughs> I, I thought it was so interesting, like, in, in books leading up to this, um, the other characters were commenting on how Rachel had this kind of dark streak to her, and she had... You know, she would she would be the one who would be upset if the war were over, and to have yeah. Rachel actually confront that herself and not just like be like, oh yeah, that's totally true, like you yeah. know, and like you and I have been kind of advocating for that, like for all for as dismissive as the other characters were of her, you know, being like, oh yeah, she loves the war, you know, she gets off on it, whatever. Um, you and mm-hmm. I are both like, but actually not. You know, she wants to be a normal kid. She, you know, there are aspects of her that want to be normal, and yeah. So it was really gratifying to um, have her her weigh in on that. Yeah, it was, and I think the the other part of that is that she was going through this internally inside of herself. But then when Jake actually verbalized it and gave it like gave that back mm-hmm. to her. She didn't protest it. She didn't argue. She didn't cry. She just was so, like, she just gave him a hug. Like, yeah. she was like, you said it out loud. 
And that's, I think, all she needed in that moment was to be validated that these concerns were happening within herself. Yes. Which was an interesting reaction. Mm-hmm. And again, no resolution. Yeah. <laughs> like, uh. I think in earlier books, she would have, you know, had the knee-jerk reaction of like, no, I don't. Like, you don't know me. But yeah, absolutely having him voice that to her and her kind of being like, well, you're not right, but you're not wrong. And and interestingly, um, you saying that made me think of Jake's line too, or, or Jake's... Um, attitude as well because in previous books that would have been something that jake kind of threw out at her when he was frustrated Mm -hmm. or when they were in a scenario where he needed to stress something to her but i think this was the first moment that jake stood up in front of her as an adult as a leader and very logically and calmly said this is what i'm concerned about with you and this is what you this is why you're worrying me And Rachel, when challenged with that very logical, very adult way of discussing it, rose to the occasion Mm -hmm. with Jake. Yes. Which was interesting. I I loved that. And I love that they had so many conversations together and scenes together. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I feel like Rachel and Jake's scenes have been lacking in previous books. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And most of their interactions have been like, Jake says, don't do this, and Rachel does it, and Jake is frustrated. But, like, yeah, I, I, sometimes I forget the fact that they're cousins, and they they do have a relationship. We just don't get to see it very often. So I absolutely loved right. seeing it in this book. Yeah, and it was um, interesting to hear, just speaking of them having the relationships as cousins, we got kind of glimpses back along their timeline before this happened, And then we also got the update on how the family is interacting now, like how Rachel's family is kind of becoming distanced from the rest of the family because of the divorce, which is something we haven't seen in a while. And we also haven't seen a lot of interactions with Sarah and Jordan since the divorce happened. And and, um, I think in Rachel's last book, when I was like ranting and raving and getting really mad about her, um, I had (laughs) mentioned that like, I don't know how she got to be so combative because she, um, you know, she got along with her parents and she was always very well loved and she got along with her sisters and like there was no abuse or neglect in, you know, her family. And like basically the only major thing was the divorce. But she Mm -hmm. actually addresses that in this book. Kind of like, yeah, like, I don't know how I got this way. Like, and she looks back at her family and says like, okay, yeah, everything has been fine. So who was I before this? And I just, I loved that. That. And when did I become this way? And why was I the last one to notice I became this way? Which are huge questions. I just, I loved her so much in this book. I do too. I always do. And as much as I kind of want to, distance myself almost from the decision making of how they took care of david it's such an important book i think this entire arc was very important for the team themselves Mm -hmm. and the character growth themselves and it feels like a very distinct line in the sand where we've passed from these are middle schoolers fighting and doing their best to this is a fully formed team that now has an idea of what they're doing yep It's a very stark contrast. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
And um, another thing that I wanted to get your opinion on here was we got a lot of Axe and Rachel interactions here, which have been very rare in the past. And I love them so much. Yeah. <laughs> I did too. And I was very um, pleased and maybe a little surprised over how much Rachel inherently trusts him now and how mm-hmm. much she just accepts him for who he is. Like, there's no question about Axe anymore. Yeah, he's he's fully integrated. Um, yeah. He and is. she was, you know, not very trusting of him when he first joined. Um, mm-hmm. Like, her and her and Marco, really. Um, yeah, and, and I feel like most of her interactions up until this point as far as on like a team to team basis have been kind of more with Marco and maybe more with like Tobias. Um, so it was nice to see have, have scenes with Axe um, and kind of yeah. get a, a level of their relationship. It seems like more professional kind of between them. Yeah. Like we're both, we're both kind of warrior minded and we both, you know, have like a clear logical handle on the situation. Um, and they, and I loved in the beginning of the book when um, they're in the mall and she's kind of like telling him what to do, but not really feeling like great about it. She's like, I'm not the leader. So I feel weird telling Axe to go look over there. Yeah. Like, that, that's just great. Yeah. And how I like how she tried to kind of like, she's like, I guess Jake's down. So it's up to me. And then she's like, no, that's not right. And mm-hmm. before that would have, that wouldn't have even been a question. It's like, Jake's down. Okay, Axe, do blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like, yeah. It's nice to see her hesitate in that moment. Yeah. And I think it's also very telling that Axe wasn't like, hey, you can't boss me around. Like, who made you the leader? Right. Um, you know, because I think strategy-wise, Axe was like, okay, I'm still on Earth. You know, she knows them all. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to listen to her because it makes sense. Yeah, but he still had absolutely no qualms about saying, hey, that's not a good plan, or this would be better mm-hmm. in case there's a trap. And yeah. they played that off against each other very well. Mm-hmm. I appreciated that a lot. Yes. The only thing I'm bummed about is that we didn't really get a sense of Cassie and Rachel. Yeah. But it will be interesting to see what happens to them further on, because theoretically... Cassie should kind of be able to interact with Rachel more easily now that she's more of an adult and more logical, whereas Cassie has always been scared of her before because of how Mm -hmm. much of a loose cannon she was. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really interested to see mainly how Rachel acts moving forward. But yeah, I, 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 we keep bringing this up. I, I'm not sold on their relationship. Like I absolutely feel that Rachel thinks of Cassie as her best friend, but we never really feel that that's totally mutual. Um, so yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to maybe having them be a little closer, hopefully, because I like friends. Hopefully. Although, I mean, now that I'm kind of focused on that, like Cassie's real, like only really convincing relationship is with Jake. Mm-hmm. within the team like she doesn't really have a relationship with marco she doesn't really have a relationship with axe or i mean she and tobias kind of go back and forth sometimes about morality but it doesn't mm-hmm. feel like a relationship per se yeah so i don't know maybe it's just cassie being 
who she is, where she's just kind of aloof. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I guess that makes sense with her character because she, you know, is like, I like animals more than people. Yeah, but she's um, also the emotional center of the group. So I feel like so she should think be doing... she would. Yeah, she should be doing some more of the heavy lifting. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. I just, I want more from Cassie, I guess. Yeah, I <laughs> Which is weird. Um, it's a weird ask. I mean, are there any other kind of interpersonal character relationships that you feel are lacking at this point um i don't I mean, know lacking per se because like if i'm gonna like break it down and literally think of like each character to each character it mm-hmm. there's just not time to cover off yeah all of those and like i mean we've just we got to our 22nd book now and what two megamorphs and one two chronicles or one chronicle at this time i don't even know how many chronicles have we even done anymore just one but it was a two-parter right we've gotten this far in the books and we're just seeing some important interactions between rachel and jake or Mm -hmm. axe and rachel like we're there's so many characters and so many different things but because the writing is so good if i'm just going off of like an emotional basis. I don't have to cite my sources. This is just how I feel after reading the books. The only ones I really feel are kind of lacking are are Cassie's. Like I feel like Axe and Tobias have that deep connection and Axe is now integrated into the team more or less with each character. And Jake kind of had relationships with everybody, but has now kind of risen above it to become the leader. And I accept that and I expect that. And he still tries to maintain with Marco some semblance of a friendship, but it's also very much calculated, just like his leadership is. Mm-hmm. And Tobias has always kind of been a loner, so now every connection he makes feels significant. So with Axe and with Rachel, it's like we get these new feelings from him, and then he is very nice and very caring to the rest of the team. And Marco, you know, he's he kind of is friends with everybody and he just had that moment with Cassie where he was crying and thanking Mm -hmm. her and I felt so much from him towards Cassie but Cassie was kind of treated as this untouchable creature with some sort of power over morphing she wasn't Cassie returning that emotion to Marco and I think therein the problem lies sure Mm -hmm. I kind of want to see some more Tobias Marco relationship yeah yeah because I, th- I feel like the last major kind of interaction we had was book three from what i remember that was um, the hatred one but he also he remember kept coming to tobias's defense throughout the books too like he keeps saying like tobias has it so rough he has it mm-hmm. so hard and he is so brave for dealing with that even if it's not a direct interaction with tobias yeah. it yeah cultivate some sort of sense of friendship yeah i yeah i guess i meant i want to see more like direct interactions with the two oh yeah me, together. me too me too i agree <sighs> so good it was keep so reading. good i know i this was another one where i kept having to stop myself from reading ahead and <laughs> at points was like pulling the book away from myself like to be like nope you have to take notes <laughs> I... It's just so intense. And 
I think probably one of the other huge aspects of this arc is that everything that just happened with David means fuck all to the war that they're fighting. Yeah, they they None were just the- <laughs> basically undoing a, a mistake. That Yeah, the entire mission, this was a one book mission in terms of the war. They destroyed a bunch of bungalows where there was important people staying. And that is it. That is all that happened with the Yerks in this book. Yeah, the the main focus was undoing David. Yeah. I I don't know. It's like there's so much to get into, and yet I don't... I still, to this day, do not have the ability to articulate everything that happens. Mm -hmm. Although I will... um, Another thing that I do want to just, I guess, mention, maybe talk about is how realistic David is in his complete, just, I guess, sociopath (laughs) manners. Like, he's so... Like, you fall into it almost in the way that you fall into just being manipulated by somebody. Like, when you fall into that relationship with somebody where all of a sudden you realize one day, like, I don't know how I became friends with them. I I hate the person that they are and I hate how they make me when I'm around them. Mm-hmm. And it's so sinister in the way that the writing makes you fall into that relationship with David. Yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know when I mentioned it, but yeah, last book. It's like, he's so, like, he's so dark, but never once did he feel, like, unbelievable. Like, Yeah, oh yeah like we know we've known people that have done these things and that think this way and don't maybe realize that how fucked up they are or maybe they do and that makes them even more fucked up yeah and it really felt like we got to know david better like he the the relationship developed in a natural and rolling way like you Mm -hmm. would get that relationship with somebody in real life it was just that we never developed anything to like him like he just kept getting worse the more we got to know him yeah that like (sighs) wow just a stunningly written character like that whole progression of him was just (sighs) so terrible but so good like so well done so well done. Stunning is the right word for it. So, did you have any more thoughts about this book specifically? I don't think so. Okay. What about the trilogy as a whole, as an arc? Um, I don't know. Like, again, I just, I feel like the balance and the progression of it was just so good and yeah. The fact that from the beginning we knew David was probably not going to be great, but we didn't know how bad it was actually going to get. Yeah. And then by the end, you kind of feel like... I shouldn't say you, because I don't want to speak for you, but like... You I, I kind of... <laughs> <laughs> I like I think we're kind of in the right mind. They're the same mindset about, about David, but... Mm-hmm. Um, but like, by the end, you're like... He's utterly detestable we have to stop him but wow was that the right call 
but it was, but it's horrible. And yeah, yeah. it's uh, and like this is such an incredible challenge for a kid's book, but the whole concept is, but what other options do you have? Yeah. And that's, <laughs> I, I don't want to call it inappropriate, but it's so, I guess, bold to ask a kid that. Yeah. Because it's like, because we reading it now are like, we have a lot of emotions about it and we have really big feelings about what's happening. But when you're a kid reading this and all of a sudden an adult turns to you and says, but what other options do you have? What would you do? And you're just like, don't put this on me. I'm a child. Yeah. And then the beauty of that moment being, so are the Animorphs. Mm-hmm. Like, God, it's just, it's so huge. Mm-hmm. It's like oh. almost like they tell you, we're going to treat you like an adult. And then they treat you like an adult and you're like, oh, yeah, you're right. I don't want this. Yeah. <laughs> Like, you think it would be so cool to be an Animorph, and then, you know, with great power comes great responsibility, etc. Yeah, she sets out to write books because she likes animals and wants to really get into the mindset of what it would like to be an animal. And then it's like, but why? Why would you do this fucking thing to me? <laughs> and, like, I having met her and see, like, I just... She's so pleasant, and she's so sweet, and she's so wonderful. And she has this darkness. And she has this darkness. And she says she's more like Cassie than anyone else, but I'm not convinced. <laughs> she's got a darkness inside of her that, like, she just, she's so sweet and unassuming, and then, like, pulls this out. Like, can I want to be in the mind of the editor when they get these books and they're like, Oh, fun kid adventure romp. Oh, this is a little horrifying. Oh, Tobias is depressed. Okay. We've recovered. Tobias is okay. We're in other books. And then they get, they're like, all right, move it along once a month, keep publishing. And then they get this slide, like just across their desks. And they're like, um, um, excuse me. (laughs) What the fuck? (laughs) But I love I'm interested to know if K.A. Applegate had to change anything. Like, if it ever got to a point where it was too dark. Or if the editors were just like, yeah, we're doing this. Like, who cares? Um, Yeah. Because, like, this is, like, we've read some heavy stuff as, like, kids and, you know, teens. Like, you know, we've Mm -hmm. read stuff about, like, the Holocaust and, you know, like all these, all these terrible events that happened. Um, and I mean, you know, nonfiction versus fiction, it's, it's slightly different, but like, you know, sometimes I feel like I can't believe they published this because this is like almost crossing an ethical line, (laughs) almost not an ethical line, but like this is so dark. Yeah. For the age, age range that you have. Yeah, and it was Scholastic that published it. Like, that's, they're not really known for their gritty, intense books. Like, if it was today, they'd have to put up so many trigger warnings. <laughs> like, oh, yeah. I mean, even just kind of as we've been discussing through this, I'm, I've almost, I've thought a few times, like, should we put up 
like something with this episode for like abusive relationships or yeah. like <laughs> you know and we I think we can safely assume if you're coming here for Animorphs, you're going to read some body horror and you're going to read some gore. And, like, that's a reasonable expectation to have. But this kind of crosses a line into Mm -hmm. something else. And it's maybe not describable by me, an Mm -hmm. idiot person, but... (laughs) You're not an idiot person. I, I feel like it, especially sometimes reading these books. I'm like, I don't know how to articulate like just how awful this is like i don't have the capacity to tell you how bad this makes you feel mm-hmm. <laughs> you just gotta experience it and yeah. i feel really bad for the few people i know that are getting to know animorphs exclusively through listening to this podcast oh, no. <laughs> because like it's like the same thing I told Drew and Megamorse too. I wanted you to read the books. You didn't need to per se to to get it, but I wanted you to read the books so that you could feel the nuances and the relationships and mm-hmm. just how intense these get. Yeah, and and form your own, you know, thoughts and opinions because I mean, you and I are just kind of like putting our opinions out there. Um, yeah. Most of which is fuck David, he's horrible. <laughs> but yeah. like other people may not think so. Like other people may feel more pity for what happened to him. Um, right. You know. And like, and I've seen that. And I always feel, I think part of the reason that I say I'm like just an idiot person here is because I have seen arguments of this was the wrong choice to make with David. This was the wrong way to handle it. And I always like, I just keep coming back and I'm like, was it though? Like, I kind of agree. And I kind of like, I don't see what other options they had. It was this or it was murder. And I don't necessarily think that, you know, him dying would have been the be all end all. But I don't think the kids were ready to become murderers in Mm -hmm. this moment. And how can you tell a small child like these kids are all under like they're what 14 at this time like they're they can't even drive yet you can't begrudge them the fact that they didn't want to become murderers like Mm -hmm. i don't know it it just i always feel like i think that this was the way it had to play out it would have been better if he had have died in the power lines before we knew Tobias was back. Yeah, that would have been convenient. They, their hands weren't necessarily covered in blood, even though Rachel's would have been, and she hopefully would have felt the gravity of that because mm-hmm. she would have, in actuality, murdered him. But I I don't know. <laughs> God. I just... That line at the end where she's trying to get everyone to leave, um, when she says, this will bother you guys, but it won't bother me. Like, oh, mm-hmm. my God. God. And the fact, this is what really fucked me up about that. The fact that they all know she's lying and Uh then they leave anyways. Yeah. It's it's like they, not that they think it won't bother her, but they think that she can handle it, whereas they cannot. That's too much. That's, they 
they put too much on her in that moment, I feel. Yeah, and it's like she's offering to, you know, destroy part of herself so the others don't have to. And they're letting her. Yeah, and I think another side to this weird argument or whatever, this weird thought process, is that Rachel's original call to action to joining this war was to protect her friends and everybody like her friends who doesn't deserve to have their dads taken away from them or to be enslaved. Like, and she doesn't, she's never described as a a loving character. She's not sappy. She's not Mm -hmm. expressive with her emotions, but she loves her friends so deeply and Mm -hmm. loves them so much that she will destroy herself a thousand times over before she'll let them go through anything that might destroy them. Yep. And I think it means a lot, just going back to her and Axe mm-hmm. and, and their relationship. I think it, like, Axe is there to keep track of time, but he really didn't, like, you could have kept track of time without him, probably. Like, you could have done something else. But, like, the yeah. fact that he's there with her, I don't know. And I don't even know what that means like i don't either yeah i just because axe didn't have to stay there was like like you said there he stayed to keep track of time but that is not really why he stayed yeah it seems like an excuse yeah but i i still i just don't know the reason that he did yeah and it's kind of a weird choice too Like, it could have been Jake, which would have meant, like, you know, this was them kind of coming together. In the trenches, yeah. Yeah, in the trenches. It could have been Cassie, her best friend, who was there for, you know, moral support. It could have been Tobias, someone who she loves, who was there with her. But it was Axe. It could have been Marco, who probably had the exact same opinion as her about this. Yeah. And instead, it was, yeah, it was Axe. And... This has to be going against every shred of Andalite honor that he has. This Mm -hmm. is not a situation that is acceptable. Yeah. Like, I don't... (sighs) And he's very much against, like, making decisions for other people. Yeah, he is. And he's even kind of against making his own decisions most of the time. He wants to follow Jake. Yeah. (sighs) I just don't know what it means. (laughs) I just, I have no insight to Axe's motives in this moment. I mean, again, maybe it's because they're both kind of like the warriors of the team. Yeah, but, since he know. is. I I don't know. And I don't, I don't think we ever really know exactly in this scenario how it plays out. Because I, to this day, have no idea why he chose that. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. We, <laughs> I think we need a, a cheerful, a cheerful chaser after that, <laughs> after this monstrosity. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Gosh. <laughs> I mean, do you have any other any other thoughts? I guess I, I don't think so. Um, okay. If anything, it's just looking back over the arc, and if I can picture it in my mind as having a color associated with the books it just it got muted really fast (laughs) yeah yeah so um 
that's my last thought of the book. <laughs> what about you? Um, anything, I think anything else I have to say would just be talking in circles again. So I'm... Oh, we did that for the last, like, 40 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm... I'm emotionally spent, I think, so. I I am too. Um, and I definitely, after finishing this book, which I, to part the curtains a little again, I finished this morning before we started recording. I, I feel this weird, like, I walk around and it's kind of like a weird, like, everything's kind of dull because I'm just, like, oh, no. going through this over and over in my head and all these emotions and it's so difficult. It's, oh no! It's not your. F- I read these voluntarily. <laughs> <laughs> I do this to myself. <laughs> I do this to myself. It's just. It's such. Yeah. It's so rare t- for me, at least, to have these such intense emotions from a book like this, and to be able to reread it and still feel them at that volume. Mm-hmm. It's a treat, and it's intense, and it's sad <laughs> yeah like i wasn't lying to you when i said we're out of happy fun animorphs times anymore <laughs> oh no I'll i mean there's to... some times okay i'll just have to hold on to those brief glimmering moments of marco making a joke or x doing something silly or rachel doing something amazing or i don't even yeah. know yeah what's um what's our star rating for this book for characters oh good call um oh no god they're also good again it's kind of like they're also good and david's so shitty Mm -hmm. (laughs) so yeah um these ones make it really hard i'm gonna say rachel x jake get five stars for sure yeah and the other ones i was thinking the same and then i was thinking like four stars for the other one just because we don't really Mm -hmm. hear much from them in this book yeah they don't do Quite as much. Yeah. Miser 3 gets two stars again for his short <laughs> short appearance as Tony. Oh, yeah. <laughs> his short appearance of not doing anything. Yeah. He basically just, like, gave up immediately. I like that about him. <laughs> oh, what a baby. What a baby. That, um, that guy that was in just his underwear and tuxedo, he gets five plus stars. Yes. <laughs> He wins most valuable NPC. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's that's my ratings. <laughs> yep, I'm good with that. All right. <laughs> All right. Are you ready to announce the winner? I'm so freaking ready. I'm really ready to actually. <laughs> we we got a lot of really good responses to this question. The question being if you would let David join the Animorphs. Yeah, we did. And we got a really broad range of answers, actually, which is good. Yeah. Um, I think there was there was one entry that we both really, really adored, if you would like to expand on that. I would love to. And I'm just going to say right now that the thing that hooked me personally was the comment that went... We have a saying in Sweden, don't buy the pig while it's still in the sack, and don't give morphing powers to someone until you've made sure they're not a colossal jackass. <laughs> I love that that, I, I, 
I gotta wish deep down in my heart that that was really a saying across all of Sweden. I, like, all of Sweden is Animorphs fans. I can only hope. And now I really want to go to Sweden to, like, double check that fact. This comment just was perfect. And to steal everything Casey just said, since I can't think for myself. <laughs> <laughs> she pointed out to me that part of the reason why it was so good was because it was like, it, it just reminded us so much of how we talk, where it started out like really trying to like pull it apart and give this like answer and like, you know, talk about it broadly. And then it turned into like, this is our saying in Sweden. And then it turned into like, hey, Eric, can you do us a favor? <laughs> like, you know, just really like rage filled towards the end of it. Like, you can get a fucking husky and name it Slayer and bond with it. Fuck off. Like,. <laughs> It was it was fantastic. Less profanity than that, I will admit. Yeah. I may have added some profanity, but it was amazing. It's hard not to add <laughs> profanity when discussing David. Yeah, David's the worst. Sorry, our friend David, who's the best, yes. but David from Animorphs is the worst. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, congrats to Joanna. Woohoo! Yeah, kind of a double-edged sword, though, since we're sending you this book. Yeah. Sorry. You can do with it what you will. <laughs> you can whatever, burn it. Whatever they do to, the video. to terrible books in Sweden. <laughs> Maybe she's gonna ship it off to Alaska. Oh, <laughs> Go live with the cheese, you shitty book. <laughs> uh, so yeah. Anyways, <laughs> yay! Congratulations, Joanna! Yay! yay! <laughs> After I just said all that shit. All right, mission accomplished. Mission accomplished. Good job, Joanna. Good job, everybody else. Bad job, David. Um, I'm bad job, David. David, you did a terrible job. You should be ashamed. But we will be uh, reaching out. You should be ashamed of yourself, David. How could you? But yeah, we'll be reaching out to everybody. Thank you guys, uh, everybody who answered. It was awesome and fun and fantastic. And remember... Don't buy the pig while it's still in the sack, and don't give morphing powers to someone until you've made sure they're not a colossal jackass, as the saying goes. (laughs) Wise words. (laughs) From Sweden. Our motherland. (laughs) 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 All right, that's all I've got. All right. That's all I've got in me. Let us leave. Let let us leave? (laughs) Oh, no. Okay, bye.